Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hi, this is Phil Hinton, and welcome to July's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we have the latest disc news. We'll talk about what's been hot at the cinema so far and what we're looking forward to. We also have a review of Natural Born Killers and Batman on Blu-ray disc. So we're back with a movies podcast and it's been a little while since we're last on air. Um, So we're going to cover the news first and Kaz has the first news stories. Uh, A lot of the news, however, has been announced um, a little while back, but we think it's such big news that we're going to talk about it today. So we'll go to Kaz first. So Kaz, what do you have for us? Well, I'm looking forward to this new Godfather, the Coppola restoration. It's a big box set containing everything Godfather releases. Remember, they did a similar kind of box set um, for the DVD releases, which was which was pretty good going. And uh, here we've got it again for Blu-ray, but it appears that they've they've gone over it yet again to get it just picture perfect and audio perfect for um, for Blu-ray. So it comes with all three Godfather films, polished up, apparently frame by frame restoration. We'll see how that stands up. And um, lots of new special features for each of the discs. It comes out on the 23rd of September. It's um, $120, but I'm I'm assuming that'll be knocked down in price for us. Um, Because, depending on which retailers you use. And um, it's a four-disc Blu-ray set. It's It's looking pretty good. I assume it comes with everything that we've seen before. Um, on the previous DVD release, obviously a lot of the extras in high def, and some more stuff on top of that, although at this stage it's difficult to determine what's what. Technical specifications, obviously it's 1080p for the picture quality, and we get uh, Dolby True HD uh, in terms of the soundtrack. So I think anyone interested in the Godfather collection, any fans out there, of which I'm assuming there are many, will be looking forward to this release. I think the big thing for me looking at the press release is the fact it says two fully restored along with the newly remastered uh, part three. Um, so that's big to me because I think the the original transfers, they weren't the best in the world, were they? So um, hopefully that's good. Any of you guys looking forward to this one? I definitely am. It's a huge, huge release. Um, to be honest, I've not, I've not watched those films for years, in fact. So it'd be nice to see them in a, a lovely new condition like that with lots of spangling extras. Yeah, on the format that we all love. Yeah, that'd be great. And I've just got to explain to listeners that uh, Chris is on his phone this evening um, because his computer's not working. So Due to technical difficulties. Technical difficulties, but he's still here. Simon, uh, Godfather, do it for you? Absolutely. Um, fantastic relief. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, I've reviewed um, Godfather before, for, I think from another website way back when it was um, last um, had its clean-up. Um, immensely good film. And to get all three together in this set, yeah. Very much looking forward to it. So, Kaz, do you have any other news for us? Well, yeah, they're also releasing Daredevil um, on Blu-ray around the same mark, September 30th. 
Um, it's a big time for Marvel at the moment with all of the Marvel superheroes that are taking off. They're, they're really taking the market. I mean, ever since the days of X-Men and Spider-Man, it was always looking good for them. Daredevil isn't one of the highlights of their catalogue, in my opinion, but they've chosen to release this. Um, there's no details other than, obviously, technical specifications. I'd be interested to see whether this was the director's cut, which, in my opinion, was better than the original version. Um, but this is coming to us September 30th, Blu-ray, high definition 1080p, and a DTS HD lossless master audio. So, at least from a technical standpoint, it's looking good so far. Okay, let's move things on, and uh, we'll go to Chris on his crackly phone line. And uh, what news do you have for us, Chris? Looming on my horizon is the uh, big satanic signpost of the Omen, the collection box set from Fox Home Entertainment. Um, an absolute classic series of movies, the first one I've reviewed endless times and absolutely adore the film now, obviously it's a lot of diminishing returns as the series goes on but they've all got points of value all got points of um, sheer entertainment and um, now to be honest what I'm looking at right now doesn't have a great deal of the extras written down but I do know that most of the extras which featured on the previous box set um, which was in the case of the Omen was a, a load of documentaries and commentary tracks well, and I do believe that the Blu-ray release of The Omen itself has extra um, features on it. I think it's another commentary track, I think. I'm not going to be held down for this one. And there's a few little extra featurettes as well. But the other films in the series have commentary tracks. And you also have thrown in, as a little optional extra, the remake of The Omen, the one with uh, Liv Schreiber in it. Um, now, quite honestly, for the film that I re- regard as an absolute classic and almost sacrilege, to, to attempt to remake it. I actually didn't mind the remake. Um, I don't know why that is. I'm not sure what exactly it was that did it for me, but I think tonally it, it actually worked in a revamped way. I could be alone in saying that, but there you go. So I don't particularly mind that being thrown in there. Um, they do, from what I can gather, have a revamped sound, and, well, they're going to be in 1080p, so I really cannot wait. Now, it's been interesting because the Omen when it came out in a special edition a couple of years ago, I think it was now, and um, that had a fabulously restored print, um, meticulously restored. It was glorious to look at the colour on it, the uh, the depth of field, the detail was absolutely unparalleled for a film from 1976. I was very, very impressed. So that is a huge um, release for me, and I can't wait for it. Um, looking elsewhere, you also have the Blu-ray debut of Escape from New York, John Carpenter, one of his, one of his finest moments, um, Snake Plissken, the awesome eye-patched hero, anti-hero, um, doing the business in the post, well, I was going to say post-apocalypse then, but it might as well be wastelanded New York uh, as a maximum penitentiary. And, yeah, what do we have on this? We have the extras of Return to Escape from New York for 23 minutes, a new and exclusive John Carpenter interview for half an hour, um, three trailers, Snake's Crime, deleted original intro, well, that's obviously the um, the jarringly unfitting sequence where he robs the bank, all shot in very garish colour and doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie at all. We have a commentary track as well, which I presume is going to be the same one that adorned its previous releases, which would be John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Uh, as anyone who's heard their commentary tracks know, they're worth their weight in gold. The two of them crack open a few beers and have a right old time of it. It's great stuff. So Skip to New York, that is due out on the 4th of August, and that is a, a British Blu-ray release by the looks of things. So 1999, 4th of August, we'll also see John Carpenter's The Fog coming out. Now, that had a bit of a lacklustre HD release. 
I didn't pick it up on HD, so, but I've heard not very good reports about its transfer. So it remains to be seen exactly how this one comes across. It's a VC1 encode. It's got DTS HD on it, 5.1, uh, 41080p. It's a bare-bones disc, though, so don't expect anything in the way it actually is on that one. Also, they live, John Carpenter's they live. Not a glorious um, sci-fi film, as far as I'm concerned. Famous possibly only for the end, but one of the longest and most ridiculous fight scenes in cinematic history, which would be nice to see in 1080p, because it's gloriously stupid and OTT. That's 1999 as well. These come out on, that comes out on the 22nd of September, by the way, and it's got an extra of an eight-minute <laughs> EPK making of, oh dear, you know how that, that's going to be, don't we? And also a commentary track. So I've not seen Megalith for a long time. It's not one of my favourites, but... You know what, I'm almost certain to pick it up on Blu-ray. Okay, Chris, uh, thanks for those. Those sound uh, pretty exciting, especially the Carpenter films. Uh, looking forward to them coming around. We'll go to Simon next. Simon, what news do you have? Um, one that, one that uh, piqued my interest on the 30th of September, going back to September, of course, uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming out. Toby Hooper's... Um, fantastic horror film banned for many many years in this country of course um absolutely brilliant um to see it in 1080 uh, i'm really really looking forward to this one spawned uh, almost spawned a, a, a genre by itself much copied never matched brilliant brilliant film really looking forward to that one it'll be well worth seeing how the print looks as well because that's always been a, a pretty well um maintained print there's imagery in there I mean, one of the previous releases that I've got, it looks absolutely scintillating, even for a standard. And for a film that was shot on, you know, very low budget, you know, hardware, very low budget film stock. So, and it looked amazing. One particular shot would be where the girl walks up to the house after her poor boyfriend has just been bludgeoned with a, a lump hammer. And as she walks off the swing and walks towards the house, the camera does that amazing sort of trick where the sky seems to fall over you as it follows her in her, in her little hot pants. And it looks absolutely blisteringly gorgeous. So to see that scene alone, I think it'd be worth talking up the 1080p version. Yeah, it's it's one of these styles that directors have they've gone out of their way uh, in in future releases to try and get that that whole sort of grainy, um, very muted look, haven't they? That's it. The, uh, the whole retain the grain campaign. Yeah, it splits the camp though, doesn't it? There's a lot of people who despise grain and uh, don't want it in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, it's it's inherent in, in making films. And to remove it as, well, it, it's a topic for another time. But there's certainly been a lot of films um, lately which uh, have had digital noise taken out of them uh, with a rather overly judicious engineer. And, well, the forums are rife with debate on this. And you can, you can go a step too far. I will just say one thing. Pattern. There you go. I gave it glowing review. thought it looked tremendous only to discover from the, the people who really know these things, supposedly, that, oh my God, it's not, it's an atrocity, because it's removed not only the grain, but a huge amount of detail as well. It's a bit of a learning curve for some of us there, because I thought it looked tremendous. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one, but uh, there you go. So, Simon, is there any other uh, disc news that we need to know about before we move on? Well, I think so, yeah. Um, this one, again, this has been, it's been around for a little bit of time, but I think it's such a major release, um, particularly because the UK are getting it before the US. On the 8th of September, Finding Nemo, Pixar's uh, film, is coming to UK Blu-ray um, on the 8th of September. And I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, we, we, any digital um, uh, anime film, 
on on the Blu-ray format looks fantastic. I mean, just got to look at Cars or um, Ratatouille, and we just know how good these these things can look, how great these films look and sound. It's, they're brilliant. And so, Finding Nemo coming uh, to UK Blu-ray first, really, really looking forward to it. And it's debuting with all sorts of the the Blu-ray Java and um, picture-in-picture bonus views and all sorts of extra little bits that they're going to put on this particular disc. So this is a very, very exciting release for the UK, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, one of those films that scares me to death. <laughs> well, the shark, is it, Bruce? <laughs> no, it's uh, the whole underwater thing. It, it just, I don't, know, I don't know why it just does it to me, I, uh, it, and it looks so realistic. You- you're not drowning in it, mate. Don't worry. Yeah. It's just a film. I know, and it's it's only animation, but it's so um, realistic that sometimes it's so realistic. Say, yeah. That should look absolutely jaw dropping. It'll look almost it'll be hypnotic. Some of the mm. visuals in that that'll be just tremendous. Before we leave, and uh, I get too scared about being underwater. Um, we've got Chris because I think Chris, there's there's just a tiny little bit of Bond news, isn't there? A bit of Bond, yeah. A bit of Bond on blue. There we go. Uh, after Casino Royale did exceptionally well um, on, on, the, on the Blu-ray format, finally we get treated to a bit more Bond. Um, and it's a bit of a strange hodgepodge, really. There's, we've got six movies that are coming out on, from MGM on October 21st. Now, I presume these are going to be all the special editions that came out a while ago on Standard and will contain all those extras and possibly a bit more. Who knows? But the titles are, so far, By Another Day, Doctor No, for your eyes only. From Russia with love. Live and let die. Thunderball! You can tell by my voice there which ones are the ones that I'm looking forward to. But obviously, um, you know, they're all going to be worth having. If you're a Bond collector, you, you're not, you're not going to snub any of these, are you really? Let's be honest. So Chris, I guess the exciting thing here is that um, Lowry Digital did uh, all the restoration work for the DVDs. Yeah. It would have been about three or four years ago now, so it should look absolutely brilliant on, on HD. Well, I can testify that the um, the previous incarnations looked absolutely amazing for, for their age and for what they did with the, the, the prints. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. It was like seeing the films completely new again. So, yeah, in 1080p, can you imagine how good it's going to look? I mean, there's so many older films coming out now which are really pushing the boundaries of, of what, you know, what you now expect from Blu-ray. I mean, it's all well and good seeing a brand new movie which has been filmed on fantastic new cameras and it's going to look jaw-dropping. There's no damage on it, obviously. But older movies is where the real magic lies. They've been sitting around in vaults, they've been played to death, you know, how they've been cleaned up and when they clean them up, are they doing more damage to them? Well, you know, there's a lot of films come out now, uh, one I'm going to cover a bit later on, which uh, really show fantastically in Blu-ray. I mean, we all know the major ones, Casablanca, The Searchers, Forbidden Planet all looked absolutely tremendous. Even like Robin Hood, you know, the original adventure of Robin Hood, the 1930s, you know, how can things like that old look so damn good? So there's no reason to suspect that, you know, there's going to be any problems with the Bond movies. Going back as far as, what, 1965, in, in this case, 1962 even with Doctor No, um, I, I can only hope for great things. Yeah, when uh, when the digital company did the restoration work, I think it was one terabyte per uh, per couple of frames. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So, so they really did go to town on it, and uh, it should look absolutely brilliant. So, um, well, they're prestigious product, aren't they? So, you know, they need to look after these things, especially in in this new age of you know absolutely finite visual glory. Okay, so uh, that's the disc news for this month, and we're going to move swiftly on to cinema talk. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums podcast. 
So, moving on, uh, let's have a little bit of cinema chat because it's been uh, a couple of months since we were last on the air. Regular listeners, we will be back to a monthly schedule as of this month, so you will have something to look forward to on the AV Forums Movies podcast. Uh, but let's catch up with uh, some of the big films that were at the cinema that we went to see, and uh, some of the reviews are up there on the uh, AV Forums Movies Review site. Let's see how the summer has gone so far, so let's start with Indy. Uh, that was the big one that I think everybody was waiting to see uh, just how it panned out, and in all honesty, I was a little bit disappointed. So, Chris, were you as disappointed as uh, as I was when I walked out of the, the preview screening? Yeah, I was. I was absolutely despondent by it. Yeah, you couldn't help but look forward to it. Back in your mind, you knew it wasn't going to be up to the uh, the first three. Well, it, it, I'd be surprised if it, what, if it came anywhere near Raiders. I love Temple of Doom, and up until that point, Last Crusade had always been my least favourite of the three. Enjoyable as a comedy more than anything else um, but now compared to what just come out this year it's a masterpiece because um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is just one lousy appalling joke of the movie um, what ex- a fridge a fridge that survives a nuclear blast actually I'm okay with that I'm, o- I'm okay with it bouncing around the desert five miles away I'm even okay with Indy surviving the actual impact I'm not okay with a door bloody opening. I can't imagine after all that impact, it'd be, it wouldn't be dented beyond belief and he'd be stuck there for the rest of his life, which would be very sure. Um, no, it's a lousy film, populated by uh, a completely underwritten bunch of characters. Um, no story. They've had, what is it, 19 years to come up with a story? 19 years. And, and look at the people, the talent involved in this. You know, obviously, I should be excluding George Lucas there a little bit. But Spielberg... Where's the magic? Where is the magic? Where's the humour? It's just not there. It's absolute rubbish. When we saw it, and a huge gang of us went, all absolute besotted Indiana Jones fans, and there was a guy in the the queue to get in there, and he was dressed as Indiana Jones. And no one was taking the mickey out of him, because it's an event. This was an event. He had the hat, the whip, the jacket, the bag. He had the bag. There's 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 a line, people wear the jacket and the hat, but you really are a complete geek if you've got the bag as well and something in it. But, you know, there he was, dead excited. When we came out, where was the hat? Where was the jacket? Where was the bag? God alone knows where he'd shoved them all and the whip as well. But uh, he, he was not exactly proud to be wearing that gear when he came out. And a film that has one of the longest and most boring chase sequences. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm not going to give any particular spoilers away here. <laughs> But it, I think a lot of you have seen the film now. The jungle chase sequence. Oh, God. What speed are they going? Four miles an hour? It's ridiculous. It, honest to God, I very rarely fall asleep in the flicks. But I, my eyes were going there in a sequence which is you know, a tour de force action showstopper. No, I'm afraid they just didn't do it. And they're not aliens. They're transdimensional beings. It's not space. It's the space yeah. between space. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Why, why did Bob having John Hurt in there? It's, what um, was the point of that? It's, it's, it's one of these things um, where, uh, yeah, the Holy Grail, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. Um, you know, the, the, the stones in the Temple of Doom, yeah. I'm willing to accept that. Aliens, uh, no. 
Uh, that that just does not fit with archaeology, doesn't fit with Indiana Jones. It, it doesn't, but and, that's not the bit I have a problem with. It's not the fact that, that, that they're in there. I don't mind that, but the Crystal Skull is a prop that Indy just carries around for the movie, and he doesn't do anything with it. There's no threat. There's no jeopardy. When, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, if Hitler gets his hands on that, he's going to take over the world. Sankara stones above, tons of threat in Temple of Doom all the way through. Uh, Last Crusade, again, you're going to have a, you know, an altruist who's going to get over the, the Holy Grail and he's going to have eternal life and, you know, he's going to be rather nasty, I'm sure, if he has that kind of power. But this had nothing. There's no overall overarching threat. When there's no thrust to the narrative. We're not bothered. The series of set pieces are, they, they go from, uh, the opening, I kind of like the opening. As daft as it is, that's where all the action, the only interesting action actually lies. Once they get to the jungle, it's nothing, absolutely nothing. You have a huge tribe of, I can't help it now, you know, he had that tribe who were protecting this temple. You know, they, they pursue them. It's, you expect an action spectacle there. They'd all be decked with spears and all sorts of stuff. Like they're being chased across this, you know, these ruins. And what you got to do to survive? Oh, just reveal the crystal skull, and then they're all going to walk away. Oh dear, okay. We're not going to kill you and skin you now. Oh, God, forget about it. Well, it's just diabolical. There's nothing there, and the fe- the crushing feeling is. It's not being OTT of the broken dreams. These are films that supply dreams. They changed cinema. They changed, you know, the way stories, adventure stories are told. They created an icon. You know, the fact that he's in his 60s is irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. Harrison Ford more than proved he was well capable of bringing that character back to life. And there are a few little moments where Indy's there, um, but. It's not him that left it down, it's the story, or rather the complete and utter lack of it. And who's to blame for that? George Lucas. They had the Frank Darabont script, which is apparently brilliant. You know, everyone says so. Harrison Ford loved it. Well, I say everyone, everyone except George Lucas. Harrison Ford loved it, Spielberg loved it. They couldn't wait to get that version done. And George Lucas takes one look, takes one look at it, doesn't like it. Nope, nope, not having that one. So let's cobble together something else. Chris- I forgot the name of the guy they brought in now to doctor it. He's pretty famous. But, but, uh, Chris, do, do, do you think uh, um, it's... I mean, you were saying there, it, it's these films were the ones that, that you know, changed cinema, and that there's no denying that that was the case back in the early 80s, but do you think that, that because, you know, a lot of us are in our 30s, and some of, some of us even older than that, um, that, that we're, we're asking for too much these days and that, that, um, that they would never reach the, the expectation levels of the fans? Well, undeniably, you know, we're getting older. And the generation of fans who grew up with the Indiana Jones movies, you know, obviously have these sacrosanct dreams, which, you know... But the thing is, we know, you know, we're not stupid. We're very similar savvy. We know our movies. We know they're not going to come close to that. Even if Spielberg or Lucas had delivered a masterpiece now, it wouldn't, in our minds and hearts, you know go better than the first three. It would not be that. It may be on a par, but it certainly wouldn't better them because that's where our dreams and our ideals were created for, you know, for this particular character and this particular genre. Um, but even knowing that, and going into this, knowing the film couldn't possibly live up to any expectations, it's still a very, very lacklustre film. You know, beginning, middle, end, set pieces. It's a cliffhanger movie. It's, these films are cliffhangers. 
that's never been, you know, never been forgotten. But where are they in this movie? Where are those scenes? Where is that jeopardy? That good-natured jeopardy? At least they kept in the, the, the OTT Ben Burt sound effects when something indie slug someone in the face. I do love those, and they are there. But there is no, there's no menace. It, Raise the Last Ark had lots and lots of violence. It was a certificate A, or a PG, as it would be now. It had headshots. It had people getting minced by aircraft propellers. It had all sorts of carnage in it. Faces melting. What you got in this? Oh, 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 who's our villain in this one? Oh, my God. What's the name of the guy? I've the name. Oh, the Rusky. You know Craig what I mean. Creep Banshee. That's the one. Well, what the hell was that performance? Did anyone have, do you have any idea what she's trying to do? Who she really is? Belloc, you understand. Tote, you understand. Um, whatever his name is in Temple of Doom, which I've now forgotten. You understand where they're coming from. Even, you know, the, what would have been the lackluster one of the, of, the, of the bunch, Last Crusade. You understand the menace. It's again, it, it's Nazis. You know, you understand where the jeopardy is. In this, you know, a rusty man-leader. Well, it, it just, there's no tangible threat. There's no, you know, um, you've got Indy facing off against someone. What happens in this, it just isn't there. It's uh, sadly banal. And, and I've got to say, one of my biggest disappointments wrapping up this uh, overly long conversation on Indiana Jones <laughs> is, uh, is the fact that where was the Johnny Williams score? Um, mm. You know where, where well, was the, you know where was the brooding moments? Where was the the big uh, climaxing horns and it, the climaxing horns? <laughs> what kind of film did you expect to see? Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. No, you, where where was the, like, where yeah. was the excitement? Where was the build up? Where was the tension? You've mentioned all that, and and musically there was none of that. Yeah, uh, well. it, it sticks right in with the rest of the movie because obviously you know the magic was gone from Spielberg it was gone from Lucas it was gone from well sadly it was taken from Harrison Ford and John Williams again plays a huge part as if he knew look I can't compete with the fanfare to made the first time round so I'll, I'll, I'll play them a couple of times and I'll throw in I'll throw in most of the stuff I created for the Star Wars prequels I reviewed the soundtracks for um, Crystal Skull uh, and I went quite in depth as to why it doesn't work why it doesn't deliver and sadly it's John Williams all over at the moment. In the last few years, a great composer of the years, and no one can take anything away from him on that score. On that score, um, but in the last few years, ever since he, he discovered, well, it was the Star Wars prequels, um, and his action music now is—it's just a complete, you know, lush mush of the same sort of sounds regurgitated. There's no drive to it. There's no momentum. It's just—it's just there. There's no nothing iconic, and Indiana Jones, the new one, just didn't deliver even musically. Oh God, you know this, this film has got no chance now. Has it? Okay, <laughs> so um, ripped so, it apart. So we've ripped Indiana Jones. Um, there so, is there is one redeeming point that it does have. It ended. Well, no the 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 Lego um, game. Yeah, Lego you're right. You're right. Yeah. At least there was that one glimmering. Point of hope that the Lego game is just phenomenal. Okay. Well, it, it it did pave the way for the Lego game, yeah, and it, and that is glorious, good fun, love it. Okay, let's move things along. Um, we've got a good ten minutes there to uh, to indie. Um, so, what else, summer blockbuster wise, so far have we been 
um, excited by, let down by, or even thought was was excellent. Um, anyone who want to pipe in with with the favourites of this summer so far? Well, I actually quite enjoyed the Hulk, despite uh, what some others might say to the contrary. I quite enjoyed it. I preferred it to Ang Lee's version. Uh, I liked Edward Norton in the role, and um, I thought it was surprising how. Well, they managed to not tell the same story again, but kind of go over the same history we know and uh, make it just as interesting. It did degenerate into monster bashing at the end, but I quite like this new version. I also liked Iron Man, uh, but I think that that's fairly unanimous. Robert Downey Jr. just being Robert Downey Jr. for um, however long the runtime is. And uh, lots of robots bashing each other. It was all good fun. Um, and to round off the sort of super comic trilogy that I've seen recently it was Wanted, which I saw yesterday. And um, again, it's it's kind of a no-brainer, but um, as action eye candy goes, I enjoyed it. It's uh, got some sort of Matrixy things going on there. We've seen in the Matrix, seen in Equilibrium. It's quite nice to see it done again, sort of stylishly, uh, good cast. Um, it's not the comic, <clears throat> which was a lot darker, and it took a, a slightly more Hollywood-friendly approach to the subject matter. Um, but it is; it was uh, it was enjoyable. So, all three superhero movies that I've seen recently, I really enjoyed. I don't know what everyone else thought about them. Well, I do know what one person thought about <laughs> the Hulk, but um, well, see I what everyone else has to say. Um, I too have seen all three of those movies, and uh, Iron Man, I, I adored. Um, because it was great again for the same the same reasons. Um, it was just Robert Downey Jr. just totally owned that film. And again, Iron Man is not a character. I mean, that we all know and love. You know, a lot of people could come out of the woodwork and say, "Oh, I've always been a fan of Iron Man." Well, I I never really was. I knew who he was. I certainly read some of the books, and but I, I didn't find Iron Man the actual hero or Tony Stark himself as particularly interesting characters. And it took the film to uh, to change all that for me, really, because uh, it just I loved it, but probably because it didn't expect a great deal, and um, I was just blown away by it. I thought it was very funny, very witty, and um, I loved the effects in it. Uh, you know, like with ba- with Christian Bale's Batman, um, Bale's Wayne is it? Wait, Bruce Wayne is just as interesting and as you know um, gripping a character as he, just normally in his cities as he is in the Batsies. And again, with Iron Man, you know, he only had relatively few scenes of, of Danny Jr. in the, um, the costume. But he was just as good, if not better, when he was just playing himself as Tony Stark. Fantastic. He was also the best thing about the Incredible Hulk. Um, I, I do love the Hulk. Um, that is a character that I've always wanted to see done properly. And uh, I don't think I saw it done properly there. I know I'm possibly in the minority on this one. Um, I think there are a lot of people who, don't, who didn't like it. Um, certainly the people I went to see it with. <laughs> I've seen many, most of the audience too. But, you know, it, it's been a popular movie. I can't, I can't deny that. But for me, what, why it failed was, and this is where I, I totally disagree with um, the cast there, because Edward Norton, I thought, was thoroughly, absolutely lousy. His words fall into a dead space. He had absolutely zero charisma. He was, it was partly the film was dragged down because of him. Um, Liv Tyler, again, a bit of eye candy, but not a great actress. 
And I didn't detect any chemistry at all between them. I mean, that that sex scene was absolutely, probably the only bit I actually had an expression on my face, and that was just pure mirth. I just wanted to laugh it off the screen. But effects-wise, yeah, I, basically I wanted, more, I wanted more of it. So the Hulk is a strange character because your, his alter ego of, uh, of Banner is a guy who doesn't want to be the Hulk. So is he actually a villain? All you want to do is see the Hulk. So a film that has him primarily trying to, just, to get rid of this um, effect that he has, this, this condition, looking for a cure, and that's the, the main crux of the narrative, is not something I particularly want to see. That's just me. Uh, the abomination, Tim Roth, he was more of an abomination before he became it. I mean, what, what's happened to him? He's, he's got a really inflated head or something. You see him in, the, in his army fatigue, he looks really bizarre. But, you know, that's just a, a personal and bizarre on the side. Um, the massive free-for-all battle at the end, well, I presume that's going to be in the extra 70 minutes because that that wasn't particularly exciting at all, I didn't think. Uh, but anyway, you know, I've already ripped that film apart numerous times, um, so I, I won't waste any more time on it now. But I saw Wanted as well, and I thought, yeah, that was absolutely great. Totally brain-dead stuff. Um, great stunts, particularly stupid stuff. OTT action, but hey, you know, that, that, I, loved, I loved that. That worked because it had adrenaline, it had some excitement to it, unlike the Hulk, which was completely doom and gloom. Um, but you know, there was a lack of chemistry between James McAvoy and uh, the wondrous Angelina Jolie. My God, wouldn't you love to apply those tattoos? And uh, yeah, Wanted was great. So I guess uh, keeping the superhero theme, uh, another big one that's just come out in the last week, uh, Will Smith as Hancock. Uh, I understand you've been to see this one, Chris, so what were your thoughts? I have seen it. Yeah. Again, I didn't really know what, what to expect from this one at all. Um, I've seen plenty of trailers. A lot of trailers give the wrong impression. Some go overly dramatic, some go overly comic. I mean, as you, what you probably know, it's a, it's a major mixture of the two. Um Hancock is the... Will Smith plays Hancock, the big superhero um, who has caused so much damage um, to the city that people don't really want him around anymore because he's just... He's a liability. Plus, he's an alcoholic as well. Um, relationships don't quite work out for this guy. He is um, an argumentative, bullshit swine of a character. And that's refreshing. There's a few little twists in, 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 in the tale. He ends up in prison at one stage. Uh, there's lots of funny bodily function-related gags and certain things being shoved at certain orifices, which he can actually do, you know. And you, know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of this guy. Uh, but it, it's pretty wacky. It, it's, it's daft. I can't really get a handle on it myself. I don't really know what they intended with it, where they wanted to go with it. But it's certainly an unusual aspect of, of the superhero genre. And it's, it, it, it's nice to have it. It's a refreshing change, you can say, from the, the usual stuff. Um, Will Smith, again, is, is very good, very good in the role. Um, it's an iffy character. You know, it's not going to win a lot of hearts and minds. Um, and some of the effects are a bit dodgy, too. But there are some nice bits to it. Certainly the bit where he's tossing a car around full of um, bad guys is a, is a, great, a great little gimmick. And... Uh, it's, it's worth seeing, it's worth checking out, but again, it's one that's going to split the camp. I'm still sitting on the fence on it. I enjoyed it, but I'm not, ent- I'm not entirely sure I enjoyed it for the right reasons. Uh, but yeah, go see and make up your own mind. Yeah, Hancock out at the moment. So um, let's see what the rest of the summer holds. And uh, guys, anything that you're really looking forward to coming up? 
So, yeah, there's a little thing called the Dark Knight, which is just about to appear on the horizon. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. we've run out of time there, Chris. So, uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why, why, oh, did you. I, why did I know you were going to raise this? Come on in, give us a quick three minutes of why you're looking forward to this one. Because it's Batman, it's Christian Bale, it's Christopher Nolan, it's David Goyer's writing. These are the guys who actually showed that Batman could and should exist. And it's, it, 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 it brought the darkness back to it, the grim reality of you know, why fighting this sort of crime is ne- you're never going to win, why his battle is in earnest. I mean, the original title you're going to have was Batman Escalation, and I love that title. I kind of wish they kept that, because that's the theme of this movie. Also, you have Heath Ledger, sadly, you know, now gone, but up for, well, with all talented leads up for the posthumous Oscar, aren't they? Um, the Joker, you know, it's, the clips you've seen, we've all seen, it looks amazing. The advanced words you've probably heard, well, they're hailing it as a masterpiece already, aren't they? Nolan filmed six pivotal action sequences in IMAX, with IMAX cameras, the big, cranky, noisy IMAX cameras. So if you can get to an IMAX screen, it's going to blow you away. Um, I'm going to talk about Batman Begins on Blu-ray a bit later on, but we on that disc, something you're saying is now is the really this bit. I was going to talk about the the, the IMAX um, prologue, which is on it. The start of this year promised so much for movies, sequels, um, comic book adaptions, you know, new stuff coming out. You know, it, it looked like one of the groundbreaking years. There's been a few disappointments, which have derailed it slightly, but I think that the Dark Knight is going to put it back on track. And it may well be, you know, the film of the year. I mean, already in my mind, it probably is. But, you know, it's going to be great, isn't it? Come on. So, guys, anybody else looking forward to this uh, this little Batman film? Absolutely. It's already the film. As I said, already uh, my film of the year. I've not even seen it yet. Um, just the, the general trailers, the way it, it's performed, and um, the, the, the quality that they brought out with Batman Begins. It's just going to be a fantastic, fantastic film. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just trying my best to avoid as much as I can about it because I just want to see it when it comes out. Like every, tra- every trailer that's come out has had more and more of the movie in it, and uh, I'm not sure whether I want to see any more. I don't want to see the first 15 minutes on the on the Batman Begins special edition. Or, you know, I don't... Yeah. Well, okay, I just don't, I don't want to know anything about it. I kind of just want to see it. I mean, you already know enough from the cast, but um, but yeah, that, I, I know it's going to be good, and I want to see it. I, I think one of the things that I like about this is that, they've, um, this is no spoiler, they said that everybody gets damaged in this film, everybody. I mean, this is a, this is a serious movie. This is not just, you know, The Incredible Hulk tries to be serious, and, you know, it's got a, it maybe has noble aspirations behind it, you know, the duality of man, the beast inside man, the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing, you know, all that kind of thing. That could have been great, and there's certainly a place for it. But Batman has always... The thing about Batman is Batman can withstand anything. He's, he's had the campy Adam West, he's had the radio shows, the comic book adaptions, uh, the, TV, the animated shows. He's had every kind of spin on that character you can possibly have. And it, it's open. the thing is, he can withstand any interpretation, but this is the winning interpretation. This is dark, it's hard, it's cruel, and he's vulnerable. Despite his strength, his skills, he's a vulnerable character, and he's a, he's a superhero. But the only one that actually works in this day and age, I think. I mean, Spider-Man, lovely, fantastic, you know, 
you you want that hero. You love them at the post nine eleven, um, stress reliever that was Spider Man two, the bit with the train, all that kind of thing. But Batman works for the man on the street. You know, there's and violence absolutely everywhere, and, it's, and there's that word again. It's escalating, and and I think the beauty of it is that he's actually one of the root causes of it. When he, once he comes into play, he unleashes the whole new side of, of evil and villainy in Gotham. And no matter what he does, from this point onwards, it's only going to get worse. But he can't stop. He has to carry on. I love it. it it's an absolute um, fatalistic, but purely um, adrenal sort of you know, um, crusade. The battle he can never win. The battle that will never end. Well, yeah. Chris, I hope for your sake that... Um next month when we sit down and do the podcast or the month after uh, that you don't uh, have the same <laughs> Indiana Jones effect no okay. <laughs> so, Listen, uh, I'm going in in full costume uh, if I'm going in costume I won't be able to take it off either better not to think yeah we'll, we'll have a look at the newspapers the for uh, like yeah we'll see the sc- naked scousman walking home from the cinema okay so um <laughs> Moving on, we've had we've had loads to talk about uh, movie-wise and cinema-wise, uh, so let's move things on very swiftly. And coming up next is the reviews. You're listening, you're listening to the AV Forums podcast. So, uh, so moving on, it's now time for the reviews, and um, just to give them a little bit of a rest, we'll miss Chris out at this moment in time, and we will go to Kaz, who's going to talk about um, what I think certainly in my opinion, is uh, one of the all-time cinematic classics uh, an Oliver Stone film. So uh, take it away, Kaz. How can I top that introduction? It's, um, yeah, Natural Born Killers. Oliver Stone, great director. Um, he's, uh, he's given us a lot of, I mean, in his first five years, he gave us some great classics from Salvador to Platoon uh, to Wall Street, um, returned to Vietnam for Born on the Fourth of July. He he did some great movies, and then he did JFK. Um, it's always been big, well, bordering on paranoid with his conspiracy theories, but that's intoxicating for the public because they're obviously intrigued to read about and hear about and see these conspiracies. And um, a lot of it is is pretty spot on. He's willing to take that extra step and, and say what a lot of people are thinking, particularly when it came to Vietnam. Um, he, he was obviously he was uh, a, big, yeah, a big spokesperson on that, though. Uh, after having come back, he, he wanted to give his more realistic viewpoint on what it was all about. And um, I, I, I give him a lot of credit for all of his earlier work. Um, recently, I haven't... He hasn't hit the mark for me. I think that what he did was Alexa- with Alexander was appalling. He did three different cuts of Alexander and still didn't get it right. And it's a topic that he shouldn't have had that problem with. I think that taking years and huge budget and reams and reams of footage and still not getting it right, it's, it's just uh, something that was a bit of a disappointment for me, particularly as I liked the character and I've read... Um, some of the, the admittedly fictional but based on fact work they did around Alexander it's just disappointing to see him realise that way now sandwiched in between those he did this film Natural Born Killers which for all intents and purposes is a modern day reworking of Bonnie and Clyde it's um, adopting the state, same idea that, that two criminals go on the run and uh, get the acclaim of the 
public, who view them as celebrities, view them as something cool. Uh, the difference in this movie is that they're, they're just insane killers, psychopathic killers, and Stone is trying to show us just how much um, damage the media can do and just how, I, I guess, stupid the public can be. Uh, it becomes uh, taking uh, psychopathic killers who just kill randomly um, and making them into well, almost folk heroes. It's uh, it's that kind of lunacy that Stone's trying to illustrate with this. And um, from that point of view, I do I did enjoy watching the movie back when it first came out. It's um, it's a very novel, visually op- opulent affair. It it uses every single type of film stock technique, colour, desaturation everything you could possibly throw into it, from animation to scenes hued in green or blue or um, shot in grainy black and white or crystal clear uh, long sequences, he he does everything for it, just not just in separate scenes, in the same scene he'll shoot it in 17 different ways and uh, the whole thing feels like a big LSD trip as this couple roam their way across the country, killing randomly. Um, it's, uh, it hasn't, for me, aged that well. Um, g- going back to it now, I just found it a little bit childish. Um, Stone's idea behind it didn't ring as much true these days, and it didn't, it didn't feel right um, depicting it in this way because all of a sudden it actually felt a little bit voyeuristic and a little bit unpleasant. Um, it's difficult with this kind of movie because more and more, and it could be me just getting more hardened to movies, but I, more and more I'm discovering that I don't like movies where you don't like any of the characters. And uh, Natural World Killers, in a different respect to Bonnie and Clyde, is very much about characters that you're not supposed to like. Uh, whether it be the killers themselves or most of the people they actually kill um, or even like the reporters uh, that Robert Downey Jr. plays this, the reporter on that trail and you, you'd quite like him to die. Um, Tommy Lee Jones plays the warden in the prison and you want him to probably die as well. And the two who are doing all these atrocities, yeah, they could quite happily go. So it's about a bunch of people who you don't like very much. And um, I think more and more movies populated by characters like that are wearing on me. So the novelty value of watching this first time round, it, it, it doesn't come back when you revisit it, even after it's been like over a decade. And even after that, it I didn't, didn't sit well with me. I found it uncomfortable to watch in one sitting. I had to kind of watch an hour and then put it away and then watch it again when I felt a little bit cleaner. Um, Still, it's, I can see that he's created um, something of a landmark movie, something that should have been seen at the time, something that should probably be seen once by everybody. But um, I just can't see any pleasure in re-watching this movie whatsoever. Kaz, do you think it's maybe because um, things have moved on in, in, in the last 10 years? Um, maybe the points that he was making about the, the whole mass media and the, uh, the whole thing about reality, celebrities and, and that kind of thing. Do you think we, we've gotten to a stage now where, where society's moved on in such a way that, that we, we now despise that, that type of character and the media no longer uh, builds them up uh, as they do in this movie? 
yeah i think i think it it could be that we we wouldn't do this again in the same way that it it happens maybe we're not as stupid as it kind of portrays the public as being um so maybe that is part of the reason why i don't like it but i it could be just because i watched it off the back of reviewing bonnie and clyde and when it's the similarities between the two i mean that they're, they're they're obviously very similar movies, but with Bonnie and Clyde, you've got two people who you can see, you can't justify their actions, but you can see why the public liked them. You can see why in Depression-era America, um, two people who were robbing the establishment and escaping the corrupt authorities weren't actually as bad as it seems, and they didn't. That their intention wasn't to go around randomly killing people. I think maybe the public has grown up in that respect. They've been a bit more sensitized to the idea of of random killings like this. It doesn't maybe it's just not that pleasant for everybody as a whole. Um but society has changed. I'm not sure whether that's the sole reason why my opinion of the movie has changed. I think maybe it is just one of those things that you can't can't watch that many times. But um I don't know, you, you actually like this movie though. So tell me why. I, I like this movie because I think I saw it in the right time frame, which was on its release. And I've I seen it a couple of times because there was a uh, a different cut of the movie that came out about six months after the original cut. And I guess at the time it was groundbreaking from a point of view of the, the cuts, the, the the film stock that was being used, um, the the way that the, the narrative was, was told. I mean, we're, we're going back to a time where, where when Tarantino was, was on top of his game as well. Um, so I think it, it fitted that that time period very very well, but I've got to admit I haven't seen it in the last sort of three or four years, so I don't know. Maybe my opinion will change watching it now, but certainly that's why it appealed to me. And, and obviously the whole media angle and building up the, these these horrible people into celebrities. And let's face it, I don't think the American public have moved on as much as as maybe the British public have moved on in, in terms of the whole celebrity thing. But um, we just show in the Big Brother house. That's what we do with them now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but I, I think at the time it was groundbreaking what he did, and uh, certainly whereas Tarantino was taking the, the the whole comic book feel of violence. And, and and making it into entertainment, I think he, I think Stone just went off in a completely different direction at the time, um, and tried to make it realistic and gritty, and and at the same time, have posing a, a, as a satire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And maybe that doesn't work now. I don't know. That's, I think that's the thing about it. Everything you described is absolutely spot on for the movie, and it worked for me first time round. And you're right. It's uh, it's the it was the changing time when Tarantino was coming out and. The big thing was to tell stories like that and to be a bit visually different. The trouble is, it, it looks really dated now. I'm not sure whether you actually want to watch a movie where the, the film stock changes 17 times in one scene. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think uh, it, it was it had that novelty value, uh, particularly at the time. But now I don't I don't know whether I don't know whether that's that pleasant to actually sit through. But but do you think that's maybe just because we've been bombarded with? With films that have taken that that sort of uh, production value since then, and certainly TV, the way TV, certain TV programs are cut together these days, um, do you think that, that you just become more used to that style, and that's why it doesn't quite work? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think we it's, we've become saturated by it. That MTV's uh, style approach has gone into overdrive, and in a way, I think Stone was trying to show us 
that that's the way things are portrayed. You know, it has its own mini news reporter advert in it, which is just like the sort of American reporter on the trail of some cops busting down doors uh, programs. That's exactly the way they look in real life. So I think I think you're right. He, it's a it's a product, a necessary product of what he's done, and it worked well at depicting it at the time. It's and the result is that nobody really wants to see it anymore because it's been done for twenty years now, well not twenty years, fifteen years. Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't it doesn't make it any easier to revisit. Uh, I thought yeah, the sitcom in the league was quite good, uh, pure riff on Cheers. Like when they, when they come on, everyone, everyone cheers for them. You know that I like that bit. But again, it, it's a film of you know style over substance. Really, there's just so much going on, so much. I mean, he's manipulating what what you see and what you feel about it as much as he's stating that the media does that exactly to us as well. So it's a film that I also have a love hate relationship with. Um, I I don't like the film especially. Because it's it's reprehensible, the characters are thoroughly unlikable, and uh, it's just the style it's done in. It kind of just leaves me cold and detached from it. Can't get involved in it. I don't. I'm not rooting for anybody. Um, I just want to, as Cassie eloquently put before, that uh, everyone should be should be wasted in it because the, you know that no one is there to. There's no one for us, you know. But you know, it, it, I just say it's a film of its time. It certainly, certainly was a landmark movie. It was also a film that. Uh, a lot of unlikable, unsavoury sort of types had to get their hands on a copy of it, get the full uncut one. I remember that being pretty rife at the time. You know, maybe the wrong people were trying to watch this film and getting the wrong message from it. I don't know. Um, it's not one I'm going to pick up myself. Okay, so uh, moving on to the actual disc, has, uh, let us know about the transfer and the sound. Well, uh, oddly, because we were talking earlier about removing grain from um, from movies and whether... Uh, detail levels should be removed, whether movies should actually look that much different from their original interpretation or the original way they were supposed to be shown. Um, well, Natural Killers is the, probably a perfect example of what Blu-ray, what you're capable of doing on Blu-ray if you pay attention to the way the director originally intended it. Because the picture, when it wants to be, is pristine. It's perfect. The, the shots that are supposed to be really good are are that good they're perfect and you can directly compare it with the really grainy intentionally grainy shots that he's provided which are again retained in that uh, have retained that that kind of style and i think that um so it might not be a great uh, showcase for how good your your system is and uh, it might not it might not be the kind of thing you show to show off uh, your tv with to your friends but it's a perfect example of uh, of the cross uh, the differences between uh, like a grainy picture, intentionally grainy on Blu-ray, and um, and a pristine quality rendition. So it works really well. Um, on uh, in terms of audio, uh, the movie comes with the True HD track, which again is is pretty damn good. It's a it's a crazy track which has everything from I think Leonard Cohen to heavy metal it's it, it it's almost completely random it doesn't matter what scenes this music sets in it's it's designed to jar you and surprise you and work the opposite to what you could have possibly expected and so it's quite a bombastic loud in your face track um 
uh, and it comes comes across superbly on, uh, on in True HD. The in terms of extras, um, we get all of the stuff that we previously got on the DVD release. So we're talking about uh, the original audio commentary and uh, selection of the additional scenes. And I, I've always been um, always been confused when it comes to the the additional scenes that people talk about because they seem to talk about them as being re-included in the movie. The director's cut that I saw was actually just a few more scenes of violence. Uh, It's the additional scenes that you find on the previous release and on this disc that the the ones that people seem to think were put back in the movie and I've never seen that. Um, Anyway, we're talking about like the courtroom scenes they have. I think there's some scenes with Ashley Judd as a witness, and um, it, a, an extended prison sequence. Um, I think some extended scenes with uh, Mallory and the, this crazy detective on her trail, um, and a, a slightly different ending to the movie, which is probably worth checking out for fans. We also get uh, an interview about the movie and the trailer. Um, it's quite a nice set of extras go through it anybody who's a fan of oliver stone is going to want to hear his commentary he can be a little bit dry and uh, a little bit um well contemplative but if if you're a fan of oliver stone's work then it's it's worth sitting through it to, to hear what he has to say about the thing he's created um all in all it's a good package if you like the movie you're going to have to pick it up. It even, especially the US release, comes with one of those lovely Blu-ray kind of book boxes with uh, with some pictures and and details of the cast and everything. It just looks a slightly more um, enjoyable presentation than the the standard releases we get. Uh, it's it's recommended. Uh, personally, I think that uh, it's worth considering renting it. First, even if you've seen it, to see whether you like it again, because unless you're a great fan, it's the kind of movie which you you might not actually watch that much in your collection. Uh, I've personally found it difficult to watch again, however much it was a necessary evil. Okay, well, uh, thanks very much for that, Kaz, and let's move things on quickly. Uh, we'll move over to Chris, and Chris, you're going to give us a Batman first, so uh, off you go. Yeah, well, it's been a, a bit of a week of Batman for me actually, because. Arriving in the post was Batman Begins, the um, the new Blu-ray edition, limited edition um, gift set. Batman Gotham Knight, six animated versions, uh, which are meant to supposedly loosely meant to bridge the gap between the film Batman Begins and the forthcoming The Dark Knight, uh, which I'll talk about in, in a second or two. And also the original Adam West movie, Batman the Movie, which was a tremendously good film. And uh, as I said earlier, Batman can withstand any kind of interpretation, and certainly he, he, he does with all three of these. First, we want to talk about Batman Gotham Knight. Um, and the blurb on the back does say six interlocking stories, six acclaimed directors, one groundbreaking masterpiece. Uh, not quite. When I watched it the first time, I was thoroughly unimpressed and more than a little bit bored, to be honest. I couldn't believe what they were doing with this. Um, I've since watched it again, and yeah, it does have a lot more uh, going for it. It's a it's a deeper series of vignettes than I, I first you know assumed. Now, what it is, it's a marriage of, of Western writing and anim- anime production houses. Um, the visuals are utterly tremendous. The stories themselves are very short, not much more than ten minutes in some cases, 
and the whole thing at the running time of only 76 minutes. Batman looks different, sounds, it doesn't sound different, it's, it's Kevin Conroy, the great Kevin Conroy, supplying the voice throughout all the, the stories here. Yeah, the six stories. Um, the, the first one, uh, basically what you're talking about is different interpretations of the bat. Uh, in the first one, you have a, a bunch of kids who, one, well, three of them arrive late to meet their mates to go skateboarding down this disused warehouse sort of track that they've got going. And, they, and the three of them have had incidents where they've met Batman. They've seen basically the same scares between Batman and some bizarre um, criminal. Uh, but they've got different slants on it. They all met him at different times. They all see a different version of the bat. Basically, it's how we all perceive a legend, a myth. Quite like the idea, but it's not. The style of the animation isn't very good. Uh, the second story is one called Crossfire, and this one definitely ties in with the Batman Begins because the narrows from the movie has erupted. Uh, you've got criminals left, right, and centre. And um, it's now been cut off completely. But the police still run the island. It's just that the entire island, like New York, from Escape from New York, has now become a maximum security you know, installation. So these two cops, one of them who's begrudgingly acting as an errand boy for Batman, um, has to take this criminal back in there. He's escaped from Arkham and taken him back. And they get caught in a crossfire between two you know, rival gangs of uh, machine gun toting, grenade launching, Nerdy wells, and of course Batman has to say today, it's uh, it, it's not very good um, as far as I'm concerned. Looks great though, absolutely looks superb. The animation in this one is really really good. Um, the next one uh, is rubbish, absolute rubbish. It's called Field Test, and it, it's the bat. The Bruce Wayne in this is bizarre. He's got the typical anime style face, the diamond shaped face. He's got the, the big eyes. A strangely pointed little chin, and uh, and Kevin Conroy's voice doesn't fit it at all. Doesn't sound right. And you meet Lucius Fox, who's designing a bulletproof sort of device for Batman, and uh, it left me cold. Absolute, you know, rubbish. But looked amazing. This is absolutely jaw-dropping. It's like it's like Schumacher, the Schumacher versions of Batman. It's like he's had a go at this. It's a neon nightmare, but it looks great for animation. Looks wonderful. The next one is uh, much, much better. It's, uh, you've got Killer Croc, you've got Scarecrow, uh, you've got down, you're down in the sewers, a priest has been kidnapped, Batman goes down, does a bit of detective work you know, at the scene, and stumbles across a rather horrible, heinous plot down below. It would be a, a classic, except for something that really, really derails it. Now, we're talking about how you know, 1080p Blu-ray images look, how you can remove grain, how you can insert grain, all that kind of stuff. Well, whilst the majority, 99% of this disc, looks absolutely amazing, and I'll come on to the quality overall in a bit, but this, this, is, this is done in such a way, it's grainy, it's blurred, it's indistinct, you have elements of um, red and green trace lines around the outlines of characters and you know, objects. It's all done on purpose, but it looks absolutely atrocious. And the thing is, it's so well directed, so well choreographed, some of the action, very filmic, but they've gone and hampered it with this. Now, you know, I love 300. I love the way it looked. You know, I defended it to the hilt. People hated it, the way the grain was inserted. And, of course, on the HD version and the forthcoming new Blu-ray version, you can quite clearly see how that, and the picture-in-picture video, you can quite clearly see how clear it would have looked. But, uh 
but I liked it. That's the, that's the design ethic that he wanted. That was the visual, you know, slant they were taking. So, you know, maybe, you know, I've got double standards myself because I just didn't like the way they filmed this. It just didn't look good to me at all. It looked like a very badly GTV transfer. It looked terrible. The next, the next two stories, uh, one takes you back to um, previous uh, flashbacks to Bruce's earlier days, his learning curve in India, uh, learning how to fight, learning, learning the feminine influence. It's a great little story. It's one I didn't like at all at first. It's only when I heard the commentary track later on that it began to look a bit deeper into it. I thought, ah, yeah, this is quite a crucial story. It is telling some valid points. So uh, that's quite enjoyable. The final one is the absolute showstopper. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And it makes you really wish that the rest of the show had been like this. Um, it's got the, the assassin dead shot is in there. You've got um, a high-stakes um, sniper attack. You've got Batman going against Deadshot. Uh, you've got a hyperactive uh, train battle sequence. It's glorious. It's shot really well. It looks wonderful. The animation is spot on. I mean, as you may know, this is a PG-13, and the packaging quite proudly states that as well. The first PG-13 uh, animated Batman. And it is pretty violent. It is pretty gory. But it's, you know... It's more the, the ideas behind it are a bit more mature, uh, a bit more intellectual and thought-provoking. Um, as I say, the first time I saw it, I found it quite boring and a little bit you know, alienating. This wasn't the Batman I was used to. This wasn't the Batman I wanted to see. But as I've maintained the very tonight, Batman can withstand any kind of interpretation and still come up smelling of, well, <laughs> guano. <laughs> but uh, overall, you know, the, the last couple of stories really held it together. First few, a bit lackluster. You've got quite a good roster of extras on it too. You've got a, a, neat, a pretty good commentary track from there. A few people on there. Kevin Conroy's there. You've got some DC head honchos there. You've got, uh, what's his name? Denny O'Neill, one of the um, original comic book writers, who provides the backbone of the commentary. He's the one who provides you know, who the character is, where they're going, what this is all about, and puts it in historical context. The others are just there for really showboating stuff and having a good old, you know, Rapport. Uh, you've got a good documentary, A Mirror for the Bat, which is mainly about uh, the evils, the evil characters he comes across in Gotham. You've got um, a sneak peek at Wonder Woman, the new animated movie, which is due out next year. That looked great. Sadly, uh, you don't see any footage from the, the film itself. You just see production artwork and a, you know a few previous sort of stuff. I mean, you meet all the voice cast, and you know it, that look, it looks great to be honest. You've also got a reviewing documentary about uh, Bob Kane. Who, the guy who invented Batman, created Batman. That's a 38-minute-long documentary, and it's very, very good. Well worth your time. If you're a Bat fan, you're going to love that. And you've also got Bruce Tim from the animated show uh, presenting four of his favorite episodes. Heart of Ice, I Am the Knight, Legends of the Dark Knight, and Over the Edge. Um, you know, so overall, it's quite a good package. As I say, it's, it's only got Dolby Digital 5.1, so those lossless fans out there, um, you're going to be sorely missing you know, something there, new audio stakes. Because it's not very good. The Dolby Digi has some sub-action, has some spread across the front. Um, the score sounds great. It's nice and warm and enveloping. But effects-wise, it's, no, it's no great shakes. This is a, a definite step down, especially considering that Lionsgate, when they release their animated shows for the Avengers and, and whatnot, are giving them fantastic, you know, wraparound sound and lossless tracks as well. Um, so it's a bit of a come down there. But visually, apart from the episode I mentioned, um, 
you've got a few elements of um, colour banding in some of the uh, the night the night blues of the of the sky um, and some greys, but it's very it's minimal. It certainly shouldn't be a, you know, a detraction from the visuals. Uh, overall, visually, I'd give it a nine out of ten. I mean, I, although I've stated one episode in it, you know, it's intentional, and um, you know, you either love it or you or you loathe it. And I completely loathe that particular style in this case. But overall, it gets a thumbs up from me um, because it's 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 bat, it's the Batman. You can't go wrong with it. Um, it took a couple of viewings to finally find the flavour that it was going for, but you know, in the end, I quite enjoyed it. I suppose. Chris, um, listening to that and not being a, a comic book fan or a Batman fan, uh, although I enjoy the movies, is it something that I would enjoy, or, or is it definitely fans only? Uh, fans only. I would have, I would have thought. Yeah, fans only. Um, as I say, loosely, it's meant to bridge the gap between the two films, but uh, it's a very tenuous link at that. The stories are linked, but really speaking, they're just standalones. But there is a slight overarching storyline, but you know it's not necessary. But these are not. If I was gonna suggest someone to get into Batman, you know, this is what you want to see. This is how you want to go. This is what's gonna bring the character home to you. I would suggest the animated show, and I would suggest uh, the Batman, the, the, the newer show, which I think is. I love it. I think it's great. Um, and again, it's anime style in that as well. Neon anime. Um, but this, no, this isn't a quiet taste. This is a, a definite slant on a, a well-born character. Okay, so thanks, Chris. And that's our reviews for this month. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. So that almost wraps up the podcast for this month, and listeners should find us on at a regular time from now on. Uh, so starting from this month, we should be along every month at the beginning. Uh, so round about the first week in every month, we should be around with the Movies Podcast. And as we haven't been around for a while, uh, just a quick chat to catch up on some of the things that have happened whilst we've been away. Um, Blu-ray is uh, is the winning format in the HD battle. And uh, we've, we've now had a couple of months where things are now starting to come through, guys. So... What so far has uh, has has really impressed you in the terms of Blu-ray? And I'll go to Simon first on this one. What has impressed me with Blu-ray? Um, the fact that it won, <laughs> I suppose. I'm still quite bitter that Blu-ray won because I, I keep putting my HD DVDs in and watching them and think, Christ, these are so good. How come, how come it lost? Okay, so Simon's a bit better, but I'm sure Chris has seen some stuff which he's thinking uh, uh, is very good. Or am I wrong? God, no, you're not wrong. God, it's just an unparalleled time of uh, purchasing and receiving of, of lots and lots of Blu-ray discs. Um, yeah, a lot of older stuff I've been very impressed with. I think I mentioned a few things before. Pattern, you know, <laughs> whatever side of the fence you sit on, looked, sounded really good for an older movie. And the longest they were due to come on shortly. Again, a sad recipient of lots of DNR, um, but I still think it looks pretty damn good. Its age um, and it's a really good image. The longest day, Professionals was a great, a great older movie. It looks and sounds fantastic on Blu-ray, barring a bit of excessive edge enhancement, but a great disc nonetheless. And of course, Dirty Harry, the Dirty Harry box set. Oh my 
God, I could not wait to get that. And what a dream come true. Okay, diminishing returns when it comes to the movies, but a lavish box set, how things should be done. The films are all cleaned up. They're not perhaps the best ones, you know, for AB quality to really, you know, show this is what they can do with all the movies. But they still look and sound a damn sight better than ever before. And great extras, great little gimmicks with the box set as well. And the other one, of course, Batman Begins. What a fantastic box set that turned out to be. And, um, you know, at, you know, at the risk of going on for too long about it, which I'm not going to do, what's it got on it as its big selling point, apart from the great Blu-ray transfer and the great 2HD, which adorned the old HD transfer? It's got the six-minute IMAX prologue to The Dark Knight. Oh, my God. You know, it's shocking. It's full screen. But, you know, you go from, like, watching what you thought was a great, great 1080p image for Batman Begins. You flick onto this. Batman Begins is the film that loves the dark. So the film's full of shadow, full of intense blacks very strong, deep black. Then you go on to this. Oh my God, it's shot in daylight. It's bright, it's colourful. It's ultra, ultra clear. They're two, bo- they're two box sets which have really set the summer light for me so far. Blu-ray <laughs> wins. I love it. Actually, I've got to say, Chris, you're quite right there. When, when Blu-ray do it right, they do do it right. I mean, the box sets that you've mentioned there are, were particularly good. Um, I didn't get the, the, the full Dirty Harry, but I did get the single disc Dirty Harry um, to review. And what a brilliant, just full of stuff, absolutely full of stuff. And that's when they really made the effort with Blu-ray. And they filled that disc, yeah. absolutely filled it, chock-a-block. And it makes you sick to my stomach when they release something bare bones. And you think, why? Why, when you've got this capability, do you have to do it? I don't know. I don't know. So, Cads, what have your highlights been so far this year with Blu-ray? Well, it's difficult to go back over the year and see what was absolutely fantastic, but recently, um, looking at a particularly good example, I I watched Bonnie and Clyde. Um, It's like a 40-year-old movie, and it looks fantastic on Blu-ray. So, uh, as Simon said, I think the thing is, um, when they pull the stops out, they can get it right. It looks tremendous, and they put all the extras on, and they they do do the movies justice. But more often than not you're disappointed that there is something out there that hasn't been included on the disc. And they still do do releases like that. And that even when it comes to Natural Born Killers, it's kind of odd that there is no director's cut. Um, I don't understand why, when it's a new high-definition, next-generation media like this, they can't make it totally and utterly um, the definitive version. I don't ever want to have to to go go back to my DVD. I don't want to have to keep my DVDs. And um, I think it's a shame Blu-ray did that and do that a lot more than HD ever did. Yeah, and I guess the whole thing about price and so on, it's still rather high if you're you're Joe Bloggs buying in in the high street and not using the internet. But even internet prices, we're we're still paying a good 15 to 17 quid for discs. So um, hopefully that's going to move on, guys, and, and hopefully... Like you say, we're not going to be double dipping come next year when when the release versions with all all the stuff on there. Sadly, ironically, I, I know I'm, I'll it'll happen and I'll be doing it. So, uh, just for listeners that don't know, AV Forums has its own movie review website. If you've never been there before, where have you been? You must have had your head under a rock for a long time. Uh, but you can find all the latest Blu-ray releases up there. Lots of the stuff that we've spoken about tonight. Um, in the podcast will be up there as full reviews and uh, guys what are the highlights that we can look forward to in uh, July Go well on. I'm going to be doing um, my uh, my Blu-ray review of uh, There Will Be Blood um, I, I reviewed it 
for when it came on cinema release and I absolutely loved the movie uh, and I thought Daniel Day-Lewis's performance was just <laughs> astounding so uh, I think that the the Blu-ray review is likely to re- reflect that we'll just have to see how good it stands up technically I'm also looking to review Point Break later on in the month uh, and whatever else comes my way Point Break all-time classic. I love that. Uh, you can't get enough of the cheesy 80s action movies. Chris, what have you got coming up this month? Yeah, I've got a couple of things to look forward to. I've got um, well, I've, I've got the longest day to, to discuss at length. The longest day will get probably one of the longest reviews. Um, I've also got The NeverEnding Story, a bit of an 80s cheese board classic. I can't wait to get the hands on that. That's on its way. And uh, what else have we got? Dark City. Alex Proyas, Dark City. And I believe it's the director's cut. That was a great, great movie. That I'm not seen it for a long time, but it really, it, it was, it was moody. It was futuristic. It was bizarre and wacky. It was great. I loved it. I thought it was great. So can't wait to see that again. Um, and there's a few others, but I can't think what they are right now. Okay, and uh, moving on to Simon, and uh, obviously there's a couple of reviews that aren't along on the podcast tonight. So Simon, what else have we got to look forward to in July? Okay, well. Um Keith Keith Hurst is going to be looking at um, Vantage Point and one for Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's uh, really looking forward to doing them. Um, Brian, Brian Day, he's going to be doing both the Mummy films that are coming out later towards the very end of the month, The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Um, he's very excited about those. As myself, I'm hoping to do the UK versions of Batman Begins and Batman Gotham Knight. And I'm also currently looking at uh, Gangs of New York, just been released on the USA Blu-ray. Uh, of course, it's been out in the uh, UK Blu-ray for ooh, over a year now. But uh, it's just come to the uh, USA market. Um, and uh, it arrived with me yesterday morning. I've yet to spin the disc. Um, I like the film, um, but reading reports, the transfer is not supposed to be uh, particularly good. Going right back to what we said at the very beginning, um, bleaching out all the uh, digital noise reduction and reducing all the grain and making it all look cartoony. But uh, we'll see when I spin that one tomorrow night. Yeah, I've, I've got to say, one of the films which I enjoyed, but there seemed to be huge um, areas of the narrative missing. Um, so I, I've always wanted to see this legendary six-hour cut of that film, just to see what it is that we're actually missing. I don't know if I could last six hours, but it'd be interesting nonetheless, wouldn't it? It would be, and uh, Blu-ray would be the format to see it on, but... Um Sadly, uh, Scorsese doesn't do director's cuts, so uh, it's unlikely that we'll ever get to see that. I've okay. a little slide there on Gangs of New York, because um, I, I, I do score reviews as well. Elmer Bernstein, the esteemed and now late Elmer Bernstein, um, who was a, a, quite a long collaborator with um, Scorsese, supplied a full-length score to Gangs of New York, which was, in, was rejected by Scorsese. Uh, and it's, much, it's heavily touted as being an absolute classic. Now, that's being released this month, um, t- together with two other Albert Bernstein rejected scores. Now, don't go thinking, oh, it's going to be rubbish if it's rejected. There's a lot of reasons why some scores are removed and or denied. Um, so I'm going to be reviewing that. So that, that'll be interesting as well, because I've never heard the, his version of the score. Howard Shaw's version was pretty good. I quite enjoyed, enjoyed that. So it'd be nice to have a, have a listen to this. Yeah, well, uh, lots of exciting stuff coming up on AV Forums Reviews. Uh, so keep your eyes on the site and uh, obviously give us your feedback in the relevant threads on the forums for uh, the reviews that we have coming up. So all that's left to do now is to thank Chris McAnini. Thanks, Chris. Always a pleasure. Cass Harlow. It's good to be back. And Simon Crust. 
Thank you very much. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll be back next month with more movie reviews and movie chat. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.